You are listening to the teaching podcast of Praise Community Church in Mason City, Iowa. For more information about our church, please visit praisecc.org. Hear me now. Hey, good morning. Welcome. Good to have you here this morning. I'm just going to be honest with you. I'm kind of in kind of a silly mood today, so I don't know how serious I'll get. Um, so just kind of uh, heads up. Was up at four o'clock this morning. I've got a big funeral tomorrow. A lot of you know that uh, Jim Quinlan passed away this week. So woke up real early this morning and just wanted to kind of work on that. So I've been up a while. So that's part of the silliness. Um, but I just again want to just uh, you know what a shock um, when you get those phone calls. Uh, it's just wow. Um, you know, Jim's been a part of this congregation. I remember the very first day we had services as Praise Community Church, and it was just our beginning first service ever. And I remember meeting Jim because he kind of came in and he introduced himself and introduced his wife and he said, we saw your article in the newspaper. We had never been to a, 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 an initial first church start. And he said, we were just excited uh, to be here this morning and they came every Sunday uh, after that. So they've been a part of this uh, church from the very, very beginning. And uh, so you always just kind of feel that, uh, that vacuum, that hole, that void when, um, when they're gone. And uh, so I know a lot of you knew Jim, great guy. I mean, he just, you know, gravitated toward people. People gravitated toward him. He was just kind of a great guy. So I just want to let you know that there will be visitation today from 3 to 5 if you want to stop by and visit the family services tomorrow over at Gracie Free. Uh, at 10.30, and then there'll be a luncheon back here at the church around noon, burial at 2 o'clock in Thornton. So uh, again, just if you're able to be there, great. If not, just keep the family lifted up in prayer, as I know you have been. Just continue uh, to do that. Also, it was kind of interesting. I was, this fell out of my Bible this morning, and I reached down, and I picked it up, and it says, you are cordially invited. I got excited about that. So I opened it up, and it just said, you are cordially invited to the associate degree nursing class of December 2013 pinning ceremony on Thursday, December 12, 2013 at 5.15 in the activity center on the Nyack campus. I missed that. <laughs> I just got the invitation. I don't even know who it's for. I owe somebody an apology. They probably gave this to me during the service, which is never a good idea. I just got it. If this is you, I'm sorry. Was it? Oh. Oh, is she? I, got, I, I just got the invitation. You just moved to Colorado. You came back so I could apologize. God is good. Because we're talking again. There'll be a gift in the mail. <laughs> Let me give you an invitation that really is uh, more relevant, uh, more timely um, for you than it has been for me. Uh, this, uh, this afternoon, we're going to do dinner with a pastor. It's really kind of designed and targeted for those of you that are fairly new to the church that maybe would like to learn a little bit more about who we are, what we believe. Uh, maybe if you just kind of want to ask questions or get to know the staff a little bit better. We're going to do that right after second service, right around noontime. Uh, we're going to provide the lunch. You don't need to bring anything, so uh, give you a free lunch. You get to hang out with me. I mean, what more could you ask for, right? 
So if you're interested in doing that or just learning more about the church, we'd love to have you come, even if it's just last minute. Um, today, uh, Janie is back there in the back. My wife, Janie, back there. Just stand up so they know who you are, because if they're first, usually first, second to their time visitors. Stop it. Anyway, you can talk to her, and she would love to get you, um, love to get you plugged in. This afternoon, we'd love to be able just to spend some time, uh, get to know you and you to kind of get to know us. If that's something you're interested in, um, please do that. Um, also, you saw, you saw in the video there, again, just, again, the impact that the church has um, had just over the centuries, ever since Jesus came and founded the church, and it just continues to just have this impact. And we have an opportunity to, uh, you know, impact a place uh, over in Honduras that's in need of, of well, fresh water. There's information in your bulletin. Would really encourage you to look at that, prayerfully consider giving uh, towards that. I don't know how close they are toward their goal, but if we exceed that goal financially, what we're going to do is we're just going to take the money that's left over and apply that to another area that's in need of a well and fresh water. So just ask you to prayerfully consider uh, just continuing to reverberate that impact um, the church has uh, on places uh, around uh, the world. Again, the, the church that really Jesus came to establish over 2,000 years ago is really founded upon just spiritual principles, absolute truths. And we've been looking at some of those uh, founding absolute spiritual truths uh, in Matthew chapter 5. We've uh, been looking at the Beatitudes or the Sermon uh, on the Mount and the whole idea in that is, is when we begin to kind of incorporate and we kind of just begin to walk out those spiritual principles, when we kind of just begin to become obedient to the word of God in our lives, it's, it's you know, as Jason kind of sang in the, in the uh, worship this morning, your kingdom come, your will be done. When we begin to walk in these beatitudes, it's just the kingdom of God will begin to manifest. It'll be released. It, it will come forth among us. And again, last week, we kind of started looking at that seventh beatitude. There And it says, blessed are the peacemakers, not the peace lovers, not the peacekeepers, the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons or the children of God. Now that phrase, sons of God there, it is a very typical Hebrew way of expressing itself. The Hebrew language, you may not know this, it rarely uses adjectives. And more often, when the Hebrew writers would go to describe uh, something, they would not use an adjective, but rather the phrase, son of, and then they would attach to that an abstract noun. So a man in, in, in Hebrew language would be called a son of peace, rather than the way we would say it, he is a peaceful man, she is a peaceful woman. For example, in Acts 4.36, in referring to Barnabas, it says, Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. Now again, you'll notice that phrase there, son of encouragement. We wouldn't say it that way. In the English language, we would say, oh, that's Barnabas. Man, he is such an encourager. I mean, he, he, he is an encouraging man. So the seventh beatitude says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons or the children of God. Now what it's really basically 
saying there is blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be doing a God-like work. That's sons of God. We're doing a God-like work when we are peacemakers. In other words, the one who makes peace is engaged in the very work which the God of peace is doing. We're, we're kind of coming alongside. We're coming in unison. We're, we're, we're teaming up with God in being peacemakers. 2 Corinthians 13, 11 says, Finally, brethren, rejoice, be made complete, be comforted, be like-minded, live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. So again, as you and I, as we live in, as we pursue peace with God, with, with one another, the scripture says the God of peace will join you in that. And you will be working with, in cooperation, in unison with the God of peace. Last week we talked about this verse in James 3.18. It says those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and they'll reap a harvest of goodness. So as believers we're called to, again, live in peace. To plant seeds of peace especially in those relationships where we're experiencing conflict. Now, again, being a peacemaker, it's hard work. If you've ever tried it, you know it just from experience. It's difficult. Sometimes it can, it can take a long time. It can, be, it can be a tedious process. It's hard to work to repair and to restore relationships. It, it oftentimes takes effort, time intentionality, being deliberate, making sacrifices to hear people's hearts and to honor them properly. It takes time to repair relationships. Not only that, but oftentimes as peacemakers, we've got to be willing to make sacrifices in order to restore peace in relationships. So last week, we kind of started looking at what are those seeds that God is calling us to plant whereby we can harvest a, right, a, a, a harvest of goodness, so last week we said that first step that many of us need to make in being a peacemaker is we've got to make the first move. And I challenge some of you that, that maybe there were relationships that needed to be restored, relationships that needed to be healed, and maybe you just needed to make the first move. And I, I know some of you shared with me, you did that. You took that to heart. Again, it involves us taking the first move, taking the first step, taking that initiative, even if you've done it a hundred times. Again, it's hard work. It takes effort, intentionality, deliberateness. Maybe God's calling you to once again, for the hundred and first time, step out, take the initiative, make the first move. Part of the responsibility of being a peacemaker, again, not a peacekeeper, but a peacemaker is to be willing to be bold, to be courageous, to take the initiative, to take the first step. Romans 12, 18 tells us, do all that you can do. And that's all you can do, is all you can do. But he says, do all you can do to live in peace with everyone. And again, part of that may involve us taking the initiative and taking that first step. Now, I'll be honest with you. The reason I started with this one is because this is probably the most difficult one for me. My natural inclination 
is to ignore the problem and hope she goes away, or it goes away. I told you, I warned you. I, you know, sometimes I just think, you know what, maybe they'll just get over it, move on. It's very difficult for me to know someone is upset with me and for me to go and just to initiate a conversation. Again, you can ask Janie. There are times when I know she is not happy with me. And I know that's difficult for many of you to understand. <laughs> She's disappointed, frustrated over something I've said, over something I've done. And I'll tell you what, I will clean the house. She'll, she'll, she'll testify to this. I will clean the house top to bottom. Mow the grass, clean all of the windows, clean the cars, paint the house. Anything I can do to make her happy enough that she's more happy with me than frustrated, upset, disappointed with me. And that once I kind of get her to that place that she's happy, then we can avoid having the conversation that's kind of fueling all of this activity on my end. The truth is, we would finally sit down and talk through it. In most cases, it was not that big of a deal. And if I just would have gone to her and said, I sense you're upset with me, is there something we need to talk about? I could have saved myself a lot of hard work. <laughs> because the truth is, we all know this, in most marriages, there are skunks and there are turtles. Okay, skunks are the ones in the marriage, they kind of just get upset and they just stink up the whole place. I mean, if you're a skunk, you let everybody know you're not happy. Turtles, on the other hand, are those that just kind of pull in to their shell and they just hide when there's conflict. Skunks usually marry turtles. <laughs> That's why opposites attract. So I'm not here to tell you which one is the skunk and which one is the turtle in your marriage, but it's hiding and it's hurling. And again, conflict, it's never resolved accidentally. That's why peacemaking is hard. It's difficult. It requires a lot of effort, and it may involve you having to make the first move toward reconciliation. Many of us are familiar with that old expression, time heals all wounds. You know from your own experience, that's a bunch of baloney. Time heals nothing. Time may numb it, but it won't heal anything. If you break an arm or a leg, you're not going to say, oh, time heals all wounds. I'm just going to wait this one out. No, time has never healed anything in your life. Time has never healed anything in your relationships. The truth is, it oftentimes just makes everything worse. The same is true of conflict in our relationships. You hold on to resentment and bitterness, it doesn't get better. It often builds, and it just gets worse as time goes by. You get more hardened, your heart gets harder and harder. Time heals nothing, and the longer you put it off, the worse the problem gets. I'm not telling you anything here you don't already know. The best and the only way really to resolve conflict is you just got to face up to it. You just got to hit it hard. Not go around it, not go underneath it, not go beneath it, behind it. You got to go through it. 
but you have to make the decision. I'm going to take the initiative. I'm going to take the first step, and I'm going to resolve this conflict. Now, what causes us to postpone, avoid, procrastinate over issues when we know we're out of whack with somebody at work or at home and the family or somebody? The answer is one word. It's fear. Jim just prayed a prayer of freedom from fear over you because that is the driving issue in most conflict. We're always afraid. We're leery of conflict. You can take a very masculine, manly Marine who would die for his country, die on the battlefield, and those same men shrink and cower in fear when their wives say four words, we need to talk. When I hear those words, I am like a deer in the headlights. Talk about what? What did I do? I just, I panic. My mind goes blank. And I honestly wish I knew the reason sometimes, but I think it's mostly because, as men, we don't like to deal with conflict. I know some of your wives are out there going, yeah, you tell them. (laughs) I get you. I feel your pain. But you've got to understand this fear of conflict. I mean, it is, it's as old as time. I mean, Adam and Eve, first couple, They disobeyed. They rebelled against God. They fell out of fellowship with God. They fell out of relationship with each other. And here's how they responded in Genesis 3.10. Adam said to God, I heard you in the garden. I was afraid. And because I was afraid, I hid. I was naked. Notice he says, I was afraid because I was naked. Naked. Now, now he's not just talking about a physical nakedness there. That would be bad in and of itself. Okay? I believe he's talking there also about feeling vulnerable. I feel naked. I feel exposed. I feel vulnerable here. So as a result of that, he kind of hid. Men have been hiding from women, and women have been hiding from men ever since because we're afraid. What is it we're afraid of? We're afraid of vulnerability. We're afraid of being exposed. And that affects us in three ways. It makes us distant, demanding, and defensive. When we're afraid or exposed in a relationship, one of our natural responses, inclination is, you just get defensive. Somebody brings up something negative, and our first response is we want to get defensive about it. And that's part of our old nature just trying to rear its ugly head. So because you're afraid to reveal your true self, you just respond by distancing yourself. When that happens, we withdraw, we hide, we build walls, and we become distant to protect ourselves. And when we distance, then we kind of start becoming demanding. Do you know the more insecure you are, the more you try to control things and people in your life? The most controlling people are usually the most insecure people. The more insecure you are in a relationship, the more demanding and defensive and distant you become because you don't want to let anybody get too close to you. Fear keeps us from connecting at a deeper level. 
that's on your hand out there. I would encourage you to write that down. Some of you that are having trouble connecting at a deeper level, it's it, the fear. Fear is the root issue there. What is it I'm afraid of? I'm afraid of your rejection. I'm afraid you're going to misunderstand me. I'm afraid I might say something in the conflict that you're going to come back and use against me. It keeps us from connecting at a deeper, more intimate, more real level. Why am I afraid to tell you what I'm really feeling about this problem? Because I'm all I got. And if you don't like me, that's it. So where do you find the courage to make the first move? You keep waiting on somebody else to take the first step, to initiate that. They're waiting on you. Again, peacemakers, you take the initiative. You take the first step. Where do you get the courage to deal with your spouse or your brother, parents? Where do you get the courage, the wisdom, the strength? There's only one place, the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, you are welcome in this place. We're not talking about this physical building. We're talking about the spiritual building. Holy Spirit, you are welcome in this temple. Because when the Holy Spirit comes, he will begin to give you and equip you with everything you need to do to be able to resolve and to move through those conflicts. 1 John 4, 18 says this, there is no fear in love. Perfect love. God is perfect love. And when you contain that perfect love, it drives out, it pushes out all fear. Because fear involves punishment. I'm fearful because I think there's going to be some kind of retribution from you in this conflict. So I hide. I distance myself. Fear involves punishment. And the one who fears is not perfected in love. God wants to perfect you in love. God wants to perfect your relationships in love. God is love. And if you get full of God and the love of God just begins to flood your heart, that it's just going to drive that fear out. Now, again, what, what motivates a normally rational person to run into a burning building? Because they know a baby or a child is in there, and the fear is overcome by their love for that baby or that child. The point I'm trying to make there is we will never change until our love exceeds our fears. We will never change until the pain we are in exceeds our fear, until our love exceeds our fear. We'll never change until the pain exceeds our fear. So that's the point, the starting point. Just saying, God, I need you to fill me with your love because your perfect love will cast out all of my fears. Once that fear is gone and we are filled with the love of God, we will be better positioned to take the initiative and in taking the first step in resolving the conflict in our relationships. Second step to peacemaking is begin with what's my fault. Yes, you read that right. Start with what is your fault in this. Take ownership of your role in the conflict before you start pointing out what the other person has done. Don't start with what the other person has done wrong. You'll get there. Don't start with a bunch of accusations or a list of the ways this person has hurt you. You'll get there. We'll do that. We'll talk about that. But before you do that, before you get there, let's start with what is your fault? 
As a matter of fact, if I'm working with people who are in conflict with one another, I will oftentimes ask the individual, so what is your contribution in this conflict? What is your role? What are you bringing to this that is fueling the conflict? You want to stop people dead in their tracks? You, you want to take away their words? That's a great question because we are usually more in tune with the wrong that has been done to us than the wrong that has been done by us. The conflict may be 99.9% their fault, but you know what? You can find something in there that you're bringing to this that's driving this. You can find something in this that was your mistake, that was your fault, even if it was just a poor, untimed response. Maybe it's you were defensive, but you begin with what is your fault, taking ownership of what you bring to the conflict. So instead of accusing, instead of excusing yourself, instead of attacking, instead of blaming other people, you first need to look at what is going on inside of me. The Bible says there's two causes of conflict. First conflict is self-centeredness. What is happening inside of me? Because you know what? If you're filled with peace, then nothing should upset you. If you're filled with love, then almost nothing should irritate you. If you're filled with Jesus, then nothing should really be able to kind of tick you off. On the other hand, if you're filled with ego and pride, self-centeredness, watch out. Anything is going to set you off. Anything is going to have the potential to make you mad. Anything is going to cause irritation. You can do the smallest Thing. But if I am full of self and pride and ego, you can hurt, you can offend me very, very quickly and very, very easily. So it all depends really on what's going on inside of you. If I'm at peace with me and I'm at peace with God, other things just don't have the potential to upset me because I'm at peace. So God's saying here, he says, the real source, the conflict, the stress in your life, it's not all the jerks you're working with, okay? It's what's going on inside of you because if you were at peace, they really wouldn't bother you the way they do. So the first cause of conflict, self-centeredness. I want what I want when I want it. You want what you want when you want it. And when my want bumps up against your wants, baby, we've got conflict, Bible asks and answers this question in James 4, what causes fights? Isn't that a great question? What causes quarrels? What causes conflict among you? He goes on and he gives you the answer. It is those jerks you're working with. No. They are caused by the selfish desires, the wants that are continually at war inside of you. The conflict you're having with other people largely is the conflict you're having with yourself. You're just taking it out on them. You're just directing it at them. It actually originates, it begins on the inside of you and it's just starting to flow out onto other people. 
When you're self-centered, there is a war going on inside of you, and it will eventually spill out, manifest, and reveal itself in other relationships, bringing the war to other people. But see, when you're at peace inside, what's outside doesn't control and upset you. When I'm at peace inside, inside me, I'm at peace with God, I'm at peace with myself, what's outside just doesn't tick me off. Doesn't mean I agree with everything I see or hear or that you do. There's a lot to disagree with. It just doesn't upset me. It doesn't control me. It doesn't mean I don't think there aren't things that need to be changed. There may be a lot of things that need to be changed in our relationships. It just means I'm not going to get stressed. I'm not going to get bent out of shape over this. I can disagree without being distressed. You are distressed not by the people around you. You are more distressed by what is going on, the war waging on the inside of you, and that you take that war to other people. You respond to them. Do you know the number one reason people list as their cause of divorce? The number one reason people listed as their reason for divorcing was this. We're incompatible. It is. We're incompatible. That was their reason. We're just incompatible. Do you know that term incompatible was a term that was made up, it was devised by divorce lawyers just to justify divorce? I mean, come on, people. The truth is we're all incompatible because nobody's exactly like you. Nobody is perfect. So no matter who you're with or who you're married to, you're going to be incompatible at some point, at some level. The truth is, you can get along with anybody that you choose and you're willing to work to get along with. And you can choose to love anybody that you choose, that you're committed to loving. It's immaturity that causes marriages to die. It's not incompatibility. It's not irreconcilable differences. It's inflexibility. I want what I want when I want it. You want what you want when you want it. My want conflicts with your wants, and we're incompatible. It's immaturity. Some people are more willing to let their marriage die than to change and it all revolves around self-centeredness and selfishness. It has nothing to do with incompatibility. You know, the, actually, the marriages that are really the hardest, I think the most difficult, are where the people are too much alike because after a while, they kind of just get bored with each other. The greater your differences in marriage, the greater your potential for growth. That's true. Celebrate those differences. Because the greater the differences, the greater the potential for growth in your marriage. And the primary purpose of marriage is not to make you happy, but to make you holy, to make you like Jesus. I mean, it wasn't until I got married that I came to really discover how self-centered, how selfish I really was. Where it wasn't all about me anymore. And all of a sudden, I kind of came face to face with that stark reality. Wow, getting married's great, 
But man, there's some things it began to reveal to me I'd never seen before. And so God uses marriage oftentimes, again, to bring us face to face with, with that, that reality. You are a very selfish, self-centered person, and I want to change that in you. And I have brought him, I have brought her to be part of that process. That's marriage. At least part of it. Write this down. It's always more rewarding to resolve a conflict than to dissolve a relationship. It is always more rewarding to resolve a conflict than to dissolve a relationship. Especially when there are children involved. If I'm meeting with a couple and they have children and I'll ask them, can you give me some reasons why you think it's important to try to save this marriage? If they can't come up with any, I'll just begin to list the names of their children. If there's four, there's four great reasons why you need to work as hard as you can. You need to bring everything into this to resolve this conflict for those four or three or two, however many children they have, because it's always more rewarding to resolve a conflict and to dissolve a relationship, especially when there are children involved. It is imperative that as a mother and a father, husband and wife, do all that you can do to resolve the conflict because children pay a huge price in the divorce. It's always more rewarding to resolve a conflict than to dissolve the relationship. So our nature, it, it, it's natural. We were born to be self-centered. We came out of the womb pre-programmed to be selfish. It's not something you have to teach a child. You can see it very, very early on. It's not something we have to teach them. It's a natural inclination. I don't know about you. I don't care about you. I think about me. I care about me. Some of you, you're thinking about yourselves right now. So if you're going to have good relationships, friendships, work relationships, client relationships, marriage relationships, parenting relationships, you've got to think less of yourself and more about those around you. So the Bible makes it very, very clear there in James. The things that really are fueling the conflict is self-centeredness. The second cause is pride. In pride, I'm stubborn. In pride, I know it all. You're not going to tell me anything. In pride, I'm going to get my way regardless. In pride, it's all about me. In humility, humble people, they don't always get their way. They don't get their feelings hurt. Prideful people do. They get their feelings hurt all the time. Our egos get wounded, and then we have conflict. Proverbs 13.10 says this, pride only leads to arguments. That's true. Think of a conflict right now. If you're in a logjam relationally, and you've been in it for months or perhaps years, I, how many of you would just like a secret miracle sentence that is guaranteed to resolve conflict 100% of the time? How much would you pay for that? How much would you be willing to pay for that? I I'm going to give it to you. Highest bidder. Let's start it off at $100. Somebody over there. Do you want to know what it is? Here, I'm going to give you the secret miracle sentence 
to break the logjam. Are you ready? Here it is. I'm sorry. I was only thinking of myself. Now, when your spouse wakes up from fainting, you may need to say it again. I'm sorry. I was only thinking of myself. And they'll probably faint again. When they wake up, you can actually start moving forward. When was the last time you said something like that to somebody? Have you ever said that in your marriage? Yet how many times in the conflict were you really just thinking of yourself? Probably on a daily basis. I know I'm guilty of that. That is a miracle phrase. We need to memorize that, and we need to get over our pride, which again leads us to arguments and to conflict, and we just need to begin to say, I'm sorry, I was only thinking of myself. Let's say it together, shall we? I'm sorry, I was only thinking of myself. Now that wasn't so bad, was it? If somebody, your husband, your wife, children would say that to you, we would stop getting defensive and distant and demanding. If we would just say to somebody, I'm sorry, I was really only thinking of myself. You'll, you'll just watch the air come out of that balloon. You'll just watch pride and ego just begin to disintegrate right before your eyes. And the reason we need to learn to say this is because we talk about this all the time, blind spots in your life. The blind spots are the weaknesses you don't see. You're not aware that they're there. You have a lot of weaknesses you are aware of, weaknesses that you know about. Blind spots are those weaknesses you don't know are there. Blind spots are the weaknesses you can't see, and that's why they're called blind spots, because you're blind to them. You can't see them. You have weaknesses in your lives that you've never seen, but other people, particularly those who are living life closest to you, they see them, they see them clearly. But for a variety of reasons, we've just become blind to them. And that's why we need other people in our lives who actually love us and care for us enough to point them out. And when they do, we've gotta guard our hearts against becoming defensive or distant or denying them because they are affecting your relationships. They're blind spots. That's why it's imperative that you and I, when we come to conflict, we try to come with an open, teachable, humble heart. Here's what Jesus says in Matthew 7, 3 and 5. He says, why do you notice a little piece of dust in your friend's eye, but you don't notice the big piece of wood in your own eye? First take the wood out of your eye, or the log, I love that, and then you'll see clearly enough to remove the splinter from the other person's I. So Jesus is saying you need to step back and you need to recognize, you need to be aware of what is your role in this conflict. What are you bringing to this? So when you come to this peace thing, I don't start with you. I don't start with all of the ways that you've hurt or offended me. I need to start with me. And I need to ask myself the questions, am I being difficult? Am I being demanding? Am I expecting too much here? Am I being insensitive? And that's what's driving this conflict. Is it that I'm ungrateful? Am I hurting? 
Am I being over-demanding? Just do an honest evaluation. What is my fault first? And once you've done that, you've made the first move, you've recognized your role and contribution to the conflict, we'll come to the next step of peacemaking, which we'll pick up next week. Breathe a huge sigh of relief. Ah, <gasps> he's done. Thanks for listening. For more information about Praise Community Church, including gathering times and events, please visit us at praisecc.org.